today we wrap up uh, our sermon series, Fruit of the Spirit. If you guys have been uh, journeying with us as we've been going through the sermon series, hope it's been encouragement to you. For those of you that are new, uh, each week we've been looking at, really, each of the fruit of the Spirit and looking at how does this look like in our lives. Does it look like we are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, evident that Jesus is working in us? Uh, through these virtues, through these qualities. And so um, we're wrapping up today on self-control. And uh, what I want you to recognize, we've been saying this every single week, is that the reality is, is when we look at each of these fruits um, or fruit of the Spirit, uh, this really is an indication, this is a barometer on how well we do real relationship. How does it look for us to walk in relationship with one another? Uh, do we do relationship well? And as we look at love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in Galatians chapter 5, what we're doing is we're actually looking at every single one of these and going, okay, what does it look like to be in a relationship with me? What's it like to be on the other end of the relationship? And so we've been challenging you guys to kind of look at these qualities in Galatians chapter 5 and ask yourself this question, am I... Am I someone who is uh, good in these areas? Am I, am I patient? Am I gentle? Am I kind? Um, am, I, am I in relationship in a way that actually displays not only my relationship with the Lord, but relationship with one another? And so this is a great barometer. This is a great indicator as to where we're at um, in loving God and loving other people which the scriptures, Jesus says, all that can be summed up with that reality. All that can be summed up with loving God and loving others. And so today we're taking a look at self-control. And just to be honest with you, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about self-control is my dog, um, Jack, who I've raised since a little puppy. And one of the things that I taught him was how to be a good hunting dog. Uh, but what I also taught him, I'm really proud of this, is I can actually give him a dog biscuit and put it right on top of his nose. And his body shakes with everything within him to not eat that dog biscuit. But he, he does hold still, except for his body. His nose holds still because he knows as soon as it falls off his nose, we have to start all over. As soon as I say his name, then he you know, eats that thing quickly. That's the first thing I think about when I think about self-control. Um, but honestly, when I think about my life and where I've come from, self-control is not something I don't think I ever remember it being talked about in my home. I don't ever remember any, any time where my mom or my dad sat me down and said, like, let's talk about self-control. And what that means is that I can look back at action, I can actually see where a lot of self-control wasn't exhibited. And it was actually passed on from generation to gener generation, a lack of self-control. I grew up from a family where my grandpa, I didn't know this until I was older, struggled with alcoholism. But he was an alcoholic, unlike a lot of alcoholics, in the sense that he was high-functioning. And so he would wake up, and he actually delivered milk all across the Treasure Valley. Back in the day, you know, where you had a milk container? And he would haul milk containers out, deliver them from house to house to house, super early in the morning, come home, drink all night, get up the next morning, work all day. And the day that I was born... My mom and my dad sat my grandpa down and said, um, if you want to see your grandchild, like, you've got to take a look at this. 
So alcoholism was something that was pretty prevalent in my family beyond even my grandpa. Um, my, my other family relatives have struggled with not only alcohol, but drugs. Self-control when it comes to drugs, when it comes to alcohol. Self-control when it comes to parent, uh, finances. My parents struggle with finances. Learning how to say no. The keeping up with the Joneses was a thing for my family. Um, and then later on, as I grew up and got older, um, I struggled with an addiction of pornography. Lack of self-control. And, and so today we're talking about self-control. And I think that for us on Father's Day, there's not a better topic to be talking about. And uh, on a lighthearted note, we brought in bacon maple bars. <laughs> like seriously, it was a test. Did you guys know that? Um, self-control is one of those things I don't know about you but for me I know right away whether self-control is a strength or weakness right away like right away and some of you may have had families where self-control is a thing for my family not a thing and I think there's all areas if we're honest with ourselves we can look and say self-control is something we can all either really grow in or something that is vitally Necessary in order for us to experience all that Jesus has for us. What is this thing called self-control? Uh, this word uh, self-control, ingratia, means temperance, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. Can you underline those words? It's going to be really important words as we talk today. One who masters his desires and passions, especially sensual appetites, the discipline of delaying impulse or gratification for a greater purpose or cause. This idea of self-control is something that is not new for us as human beings. This is something that we've been struggling with since the beginning of time. It dates all the way back to the beginning of the story, the beginning of the scriptures, the beginning of, of God's word in Genesis, where God creates his creation in Adam and Eve, and he tells them, that his creation is good. And when he makes Adam and Eve, he says that it is not only good, that it is, it, is, it is what? It is very good. And he tells Adam and Eve, he says, I want you to master and reign and rule over this creation that I've given to you, but I've given you one thing that you cannot do. You cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sure enough, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also, look at that next word, also, what's it say? Desirable, underline it. Also desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took some, and she ate it. From the very beginning, we see that God says, this is what is good, this is what is right, this is what I've given you. And Adam and Eve look and they see something that is desirable and from the very beginning this idea of self-control begins to come up in the scripture. A lack of self-control. And you would hope and think that, that after that happens there's a lot of pain that comes from a choice to, to disobey God that the pain would be enough for, for God's children to go let's not do that again, Right? But that's not what actually happens. And you see in the creation story that <clears throat> things begin to unravel even more so. Things get exponentially worse. They don't get better. And in the next story we see in Genesis chapter 4, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? If you know the story of Cain and Abel, 
God is thankful for Abel's sacrifice, but is, is left wanting with Cain's. And he's having a conversation with Cain about his sacrifice. And there's this thing going on between him and his brother. And God begins to have a conversation with Cain about what's going on inside of his heart. And look what he says. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It, where's that key word again? Desires. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. From the beginning of time, there's been desires, there's been wants, and God has been inviting his children to learn how to exhibit self-control. In Genesis chapter 3 and 4, it parallels itself in a lot of different ways. Both Adam and Eve have temptation. Both Adam and, or Adam and Cain, Eve and Cain, both have temptation. Both Adam and Cain can hear the divine question after they mess up. They run away in hiding, both of them. And God asks the question, where are you? Where is your brother? What's going on inside of you? What have you done? Both Adam and Cain express fear and hide from God. Both Adam and Cain are condemned to experience difficulty after their decision. And both Adam and Cain actually suffer exile. They suffer what I would say consequences of their lack of self-control. This word uh, desire is teshuka. Desire longing craving craving of man for woman of woman for man of beast to devour both these stories are the start of scripture where we see this idea of self-control popping up and god asking and inviting his children his human beings his image bearers to be a people that exhibit self-control and i want you to notice that both these stories from the very, very beginning are this idea of, of God inviting us into self-control, but at the core of both these stories is the issue of sin. It's the issue of sin. But before it becomes sin, it is unguided and undirected desire and passion that is left unchecked. Desire and passion that is left unchecked. Desire and passion left raw and unguided or undirected will always lead to great evil. And God invites his children to make a choice, to be a people that just allow our desires, allow our passions to go out of control or to be guided by God's word and by his commands. And this really is the difference between what separates human beings and animals, isn't it? Human beings made in the image of God have the ability to have a communication, have a relationship with God. We have the ability to communicate. We have the ability to listen to commands and understand the why of commands. The ability to create and partner with God. The ability to control desire. We just don't give in to instinct. We just don't give in to urges. We can display self-control. And this is what actually makes us made in the image of God. Is that we're not just giving in to whatever our impulses. Because God actually has a better way for us. Here's what's crazy about self-control. Is it's actually counterintuitive. If you want self-control... The reality is this, is to have self-control, you have to actually learn how to lose control. It's the opposite of what you would think, right? In order to have self-control, you actually have to choose to lose control. Jesus puts it this way in Mark chapter 8. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves, must deny control, must, must look at the desires, the passions, the longings, look at those and deny them, redirect them, submit them, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will, what's he say? Will save their life will lose it. If you want self-control, you've got to learn to lose your life. It's counterintuitive. You think it's control? Actually, it's not. It's surrender. It's losing it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You see, Jesus calls us to the greatest partnership and the greatest invitation. And this invitation is, is for you. He wants you to experience life, life to its fullest. But if you're going to do that, it's going to require you to learn how to lose control. Surrender to Jesus. Losing control is actually the beginning step of actually gaining self-control. It's actually the decision to say, Lord, I, I have all these longings, these desires, these passions, these things that actually lead me to pain, actually lead me to um, depression, lead me to lostness. And Jesus is saying, I'm asking you to bring those things to me and then surrender them to me. And in that moment, you begin to experience self-control. Titus chapter 2 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. There's that word again, desires, passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, in this present age, while we wait for a blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what it is that is good. Self-control, it means foregoing what is convenient and easy to pursue that which is eternal and good in partnership with Jesus. That's what Titus chapter 2 is actually saying. Is that we would say no to the temporary, no to the ungodly, no to the things that God calls us to say no to, in order to say yes to the eternal, that which is good, that is what we hope for and long for. First John puts it in the same way, chapter two. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Sounds familiar in Genesis chapter three, doesn't it? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its... What's that word again? Desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Proverbs 25, 28. One of the best passages on self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. For all of us, the passages in Scripture that talk about self-control the core of it is a decision to surrender to Jesus. Choosing the, the desires, the passions, the things that go on inside of us, that we actually surrender those things to Jesus and we say yes to the things he says yes to and we say no to the things he says no to because he's Lord and he says what is right is good. And for all of us, we have to come to grips with Proverbs chapter 25 that if you don't learn self-control, things will control you and ultimately they will destroy you. If you don't learn self-control, things will control you and destroy you. And 
the relationships you have will be destroyed. Come back all the way back to Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have self-control, not only will it destroy you and control you, but it will destroy relationships. If I look back in my life, all the relationships of my family where there was a lack of self-control, there was then brokenness relationally. Hurt relationally. Sin that goes on relationally. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is, is what is the step? What is the way forward when it comes to, to learning self-control? And these are things that I've had to actually have people speak into my life and help me when it comes to self-control. Like I said, I had a family that didn't talk about self-control growing up. It's not something that, that was talked about often, but there, luckily there were disciple makers that came into my life and began to help me learn what self-control actually looks like. First one is this, we already talked about losing control is the beginning step of actually gaining self-control. And so this morning, if, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, that's actually your next step. If you want self-control, if you're struggling with areas in your life where you have not uh, been able to conquer addiction or, or not even addiction, maybe even it's in regards to relationships, where you keep going back to the same thing over and over and over again, broken relationship, the first step is actually you choosing to surrender to Jesus. It's choosing to say, I don't, I, my life's out of control. I need Jesus to be in control. Number two, you've got to recognize the source and credit of self-control. Sometimes I think self-control is this idea, this worldly self-control is a granite, buckle-down process. It's, I just got to gut through this. But self-control with the Spirit is a recognition that I can't do this apart from Jesus. I can't do this apart from Him. That I need Jesus' spirit to be working inside of me and that his spirit inside of me is the only way I can actually take a step of self-control. Celebrate recovery step number one. You maybe heard this. Maybe you heard this in AA. It says this, the first step. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, that our lives had become unmanageable. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. Romans chapter 7 says this, For I have, the, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. All of us cannot carry out self-control apart from Jesus. Number three, you need to recognize that self-control does not mean a lack of passion, a lack of desire. It also doesn't mean that we just become numb to life. Self-control doesn't mean that we have a lack of passion, a lack of desire, or that we just become numb in life. Self-control can't get rid of passion. Just like in a car, you can't get rid of the engine. In a car, if you get rid of the engine, it ceases to even being functional. Are you with me this morning? Someone were to give you a car and say, hey, got a car for you. Doesn't have an engine. You'd go, what good is that to me, Right? Passion from within, God's given you passions. He's given you desires. But what he's asking you to do is to bridle those with his word. And so passion, desire is something that we have to look at and say, is this what God wants for me? And we don't rip that out of our hearts. Instead, what we do is God says, I've given you a steering wheel to choose where to drive your passions, where to drive your longings. And to ask the question, is it what leads to godliness, to eternal? What Jesus can offer is better than anything else. 
But will we trust him with that? When we're captivated by Jesus and his word, when we're captivated by him and his words that we believe that that's actually what gives life and trust him with it, we begin to apply our passion and desire in the right way. Number four, I want to ask you this question. Do you respond like Jesus when it comes to self-control or do you react out of your desires? Do you respond like Jesus when it comes to self-control or do you react? Do you react? When it comes to these steps in learning self-control, what does it look like for you to begin the process of saying, okay, Lord, I need to surrender. I need to submit my longings and desires and I need to apply them how you've called me to apply them. And I need to be a person who doesn't respond, just react out of my, my emotions, but instead I'm gonna respond and react like Jesus. Even though self-control is an area in my life that I can look back and go, man, I don't, I never really was in a home that talked about self-control. Let me tell you what, what Jesus has done in my family. You see, my grandpa, in the midst of getting to know him and as I got older realizing that he was a functioning alcoholic I didn't know this but when my mom and dad sat him down and said if you want to see your grandchild you want him to stay the night at your house if you want to be in a relationship with him like alcoholism is something that has to be dealt with um, he quit alcohol I don't know how cold turkey and when I did his funeral and I sat down with his pastor my grandpa was a very quiet man. We didn't talk about faith a lot. But when I sat down with his pastor and I did his funeral, my first funeral ever, <laughs> he talked about my grandpa's faith over and over and over and over again. And about the struggles that my grandpa had. And as we were going through his things, one of the things that I received was his Bible. And that Bible sits on my desk at home today. You see, I believe it was his faith in Jesus that allowed him to continue to stay dry, even as we got older. The reason why I know that is because as we cleaned out the house, there were no empty bottles found in the closet, in the garage. You see, my brother, who struggled with drugs and alcohol, was baptized in this church and was redeemed and learned self-control in this church. My addiction to pornography went away because a disciple maker in my life walked beside me and said, Justin, you've got to cement surrender to Jesus. You can't control your life. You gotta trust Jesus' love over you. You see, because of Jesus, because of his love for me, self-control is something that's a conversation being had with my kids now. And it's gonna change, Lord willing, from generation to generation to generation because Jesus 
in the midst of me not showing self-control. Jesus, over and over and over and over again, forgave me and loved me. And people continue to love and forgive and show grace over and over and over again. And so for you this morning, what does it look for you to experience self-control? To show the world what our God's like, a God who is patient and kind, wishing nobody to perish, but wanting all to come to a life-saving knowledge of who he is. What would it look like for you to change your life, to lose control, surrender control to Jesus? Are you ready to give credit to the source of life, that Jesus is the one that only gives us self-control? Are you ready to align your passions and your desires to Jesus? And are you ready to respond instead of reacting? As we get ready to go to communion this morning, I just want to invite you just to look at those questions and just reflect on them this morning and ask the question, am I a person that exhibits self-control? Do I show the world what God's like? And, and if not, who are you going to invite into that conversation? Because you'll notice the only way the self-control enters into the conversation is if you invite others into it. So as we get ready to go to the Lord's table, I want to invite you to just pray and have a conversation with Jesus. And if you came this morning and you didn't receive communion and you would like to take communion, just go ahead and raise your hand. We've got ushers that are coming forward right now. They would love to give you a piece of bread, a cup of juice. As we get ready to go to the Lord's table, just raise your hand. Let will make sure they serve you this morning. Let's go to the table.